Please be seated. I love winter, but I'm looking ahead to spring. And one of the things that you smell in spring as you're driving through the countryside is the fields. You might have seen the muck spreader or the honey wagon, as the farmers know it, going down the roads or the trails to the fields to spread manure on the fields. Today, we're talking about the baptism of our Lord. And today, we're talking about God's plan for this world. Why does the church calendar go directly from the Magi to the baptism? We skip some decades going from the Magi visiting Jesus as a boy all the way to Jesus as a grown man being baptized. And it's because the Bible often doesn't follow and the liturgical year often doesn't follow chronological order. You see, as Westerners, we see chronology as the most important part of history, right? Most of us would open a history book and expect to start at the beginning of time at the left and the end of time at the right, right? And if you turn left, you're going earlier, and if you turn right, you're going later. That's not how the Bible's laid out, and that's not how the liturgical year is laid out either. Um, theology is driving this feast. So what the liturgical year is telling us here is we go from adoring the child, from adoring Jesus Christ, God transcendent and God imminent, right? God who casts the universe and God who's as a little baby here to God being revealed or rather, Jesus being revealed by God as his son. Do you see? We go from Jesus being adored and worshiping him to Jesus being revealed and endorsed, if you will, by God the Father and the Holy Spirit as his son in baptism. And there's two reactions to God's self-revelation. And I would insist that these two reactions are actually true for all time. When faced with who God truly is, no person, no culture, no nation can be indifferent. Either we fall down and we worship, or we fall back in hatred and disgust. There is no middle ground. What happens directly in Matthew's gospel after the Magi come and adore Christ? Matthew 2, 13 through 16, excuse me, through 16 tells us the story. Today's gospel is Luke, but if uh, you're familiar with Matthew, flip back there to Matthew 2, 13 through 16. What do you see? The flight to Egypt is the subtitle that comes up in my Bible. And what's next? Herod kills the children. 
the murder of the holy innocents. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Do you see the two reactions? The wise men or the magi fall down in worship. Herod the king goes on a rampage in hatred and disgust when faced with the reality of God. This week's daily Bible reading and morning and evening prayer, we also encounter Jesus in Matthew 10:34, telling us that it's true that he comes to bring peace, that is a peace that is abiding and unshakable in our hearts, and yet he also comes to bring the sword. Do not come think that I have come to bring peace, he says, but I have come to bring the sword. Again, Adoration, hatred, and disgust. In Epiphany, God reveals himself to the Jews and the Gentiles. And there's two reactions for Jew and Gentile. You guessed it. Adoration and disgust and hatred. It's a theme that is pervasive throughout the Gospels. But as we look today at the baptism of our Lord... God shows to us three things. Number one, he shows to us his plan, that he has chosen a servant. Number two, he shows to us and calls our response to a God of redemption. And number three, he begins the redemption of the material world, of matter itself. Those are the three points that we're going to look at most this morning. God shows his plan of his chosen servant, Jesus. He calls our response to redemption in Jesus. And he begins the redemption of matter itself, the material world, in Jesus. Look with me at Luke chapter 3, verse 15, which is today's gospel. And the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. As you read that passage, you should ask yourself, what expectation? Why are they awaiting something? What's going on? For you and I, you see, we just gloss over that because it's a foregone conclusion. Of course, it's Jesus. But to the first people here in seeing this passage, reading this passage, to the first people experiencing this passage, that conclusion wasn't foregone. Who is this? Why, so why are they in expectation? Who are they waiting for? The Christ, it says. Which again, in... As you and I read that, we do shorthand in our brain and think the Christ. Okay, Jesus. But is that really what God's word says here? No. The Christ. The Christ. Who is the Christ? It's not Jesus' last name. What's it mean? The Christ. In the Greek, the Christos. The anointed one. Yeah, the anointed one, the chosen one, 
The Messiah is another word for it. You see, Isaiah answers the question for us in today's first lesson, which is his first, what's called his first servant song, the servant song of Isaiah, prophesying who Jesus is. Look with me at the first lesson. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, you could also, if that was in Greek, right, read that, my Christ, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And we continue on. So who are they waiting for? They're waiting for the Messiah, the chosen one, the Christ. And they're asking, John, is this the Christ? Is John the Baptist the Christ? John responds to them saying, no, I'm not the Christ. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes, essentially. Right? John's not the Christ, but he comes and foreruns the Christ. But what of baptism? God calls for our response. It's something that the Gentiles do to become cleansed. Do you know Gentiles, to become Jews, were baptized? That was something that emerged in the Second Temple period um, between the Old and New Testaments, that if you wanted to convert and become a Jew, you were baptized. And so what John the Baptist is doing is actually a Jewish ritual called baptism to bring these Gentiles cleansed, purified in to be a part of God's people. It's a sign to the Jews who have been waiting for the Messiah that now here we have, think about this, the Messiah, the chosen one going through a Gentile exercise to be cleansed, to become part of God's people. And if you're thinking they're scratching your head, that doesn't make any sense. Bingo! <laughs> it doesn't. We're going to see why. You see, for the, for the Gentile becoming the Jew, baptism and repentance was to bring about a change of mind, a repentance, a dismissal of things former, and an embracing of things to come. And the followers of John seem to get that they need it. Look at verse 21. Now all the people were baptized. Okay. <laughs> they seem to understand that they need this cleansing. There's not debate. There's not a fight. John the Baptist told it to the people straight. And that was a tremendous gift. And the Holy Spirit was working in them and convicting them of their sins because they knew they were in sin. They knew they were entrapped. And so they wanted to do something about it. And they are baptized. Again, sometimes we ignore these most obvious things. But John recognized that repentance and forgiveness of sins were incomplete. Think about it. Just ceasing to be a criminal doesn't get rid of the fact that you were a criminal. <laughs> yeah, it's good that you didn't steal today, and you might not steal tomorrow, but you still stole yesterday, you see. That's not enough. But with repentance comes forgiveness and hope. Look at verse 16. John answered all of them, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who's mightier than I is coming, 
the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And we continue. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Washing's good, but we just get dirty again. The Holy Spirit and baptism, having the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the church, not the baptism of John, is what's needed here for us. John knows that the Holy Spirit is the one who brings transformation. We actually see this on display in Acts chapter 19. Paul's in Ephesus, you recall, and Paul says John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they, these Ephesians, were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Do you see What's Paul, what Paul is illustrating here, the difference between the baptism of John and the baptism in Jesus. Redemption is the end of God's mission. Redemption is the goal of God's mission, not just to cease sinning. That's why the church that only preaches the law misses the point. The church that only preaches about what you ought and ought not to do is only giving you moralism. We need something more. We need the Holy Spirit. Psalm 107 gives us an idea about what the Holy Spirit does in this redemption. I'll read it to you. Give thanks to the Lord, for He's good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those He redeemed from the hand of the foe. Do you see that redemption, redeemed word? Paul also mentions this to the Ephesians. In him we have redemption, that is in Jesus, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring all unity to all things in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Think about that for a minute. What's God's purpose? To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The word for redemption in the Greek is a word that means to release or bring deliverance. So a redeemed person is someone that's been released or delivered. A redeemed object is something that's been released or delivered. A redeemed house is a house that's been released or delivered. What's going on here with water? It's not just about the saving of an individual. It's about the saving of all creation in redemption. Jesus died on the cross to redeem the world. We say it time and time again during Holy Week. What does it mean? It doesn't mean that he just redeems our souls. It means that he's to redeem the world, all things, all things. Our relationships, 
all created things, all matter. It's so much more than we think. Jesus is fulfilling God's plan by redeeming all things through we who repent and turn to him as his agents. Luke 3, 5, and 6, we read this. Every valley will be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of our God. Do you see, it's so much more than just we as individuals. Theodore of Herculea writes this, When he who is perfect according to the law was baptized with the baptism of John, he became the first to achieve the perfection of the law. For this reason, even Christ, who was perfect in the law, was baptized in the baptism of John. So here we get the answer to the question, why did Jesus undergo the baptism of John? To fulfill all righteousness, Matthew's gospel tells us, and Theodore of Herculea is echoing that. To fulfill the Old Testament law completely, even though he didn't need it. But there's more. Jesus had nothing to repent of. Jesus had nothing to be cleansed from. And so Maximus, of Turin in 380 writes this, Christ was baptized not to be made holy by the water, but to make the water holy. And by his cleansing to purify the waters he touched. Christ is the first to be baptized then so that Christians will follow after him with confidence. So yes, Jesus is baptized to fulfill all righteousness according to the Old Testament law, but it's also part of God's redemptive plan, redeeming matter, material itself. When Jesus touches the water, the water doesn't cleanse Jesus. Jesus cleanses the water, do you see? And that's the beginning of the redemption of all creation. It's not done yet. We know that. We know that. But we have the promise that it will indeed happen. Revelation 21, we're told that God will restore all things. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're told that we are new creations in Christ. Why do we bless water? Why do we consecrate churches? Why do we bless ourselves and our homes during Epiphany? Why do we bless one another? It's to remind us of the fact that we are part of the kingdom of God. We are part of that redeemed world. When I go through later on here and sprinkle you on holy water with holy water, it's to remind you, you've been claimed. And that's good news. You're not your own anymore. You're Christ's. You're part of the redeemed creation. No longer part of the decrepit, falling apart, death creation. But you see, we stand in the middle. 
So we still experience the pain. We still experience the disease. We still experience the death. But we also stand looking to the hope, knowing that the pain isn't the end of the story. The death isn't the final word. That Christ has triumphed even over these. And one day we shall see him standing in our bodies. We're reminding ourselves that we do that sacramentally whenever we use holy water, whenever we use blessings. When I stand up there at the end of the service and bless you, it's to remind you of whose you are. We need those reminders desperately because we lose track of it. We get preoccupied with the world. We get overcome by pain. We get dragged down by this world. And we need that that reminder that we are part of the redeemed world of Christ. It's easy to lose sight of it. But the end is given to us in Revelation 21.5, where St. John the Divine writes, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said this, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And here's the link to baptism. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. So as we go about our world, I have a question for you. Remember the muckraker or the muck spreader? Remember the honey wagon? Are you a muck spreader? Are you a honey wagon sprinkling filth around you? Participating in a world that sprinkles hatred and filth and disgust at the coming of the Savior? That just happens to come to church on Sunday? Or is this something that you live? Are you sprinkled with Christ's purity? Are you showing forth God's love? Are you spreading the joy of what it means to be a Christian? It's a tall order, and we can't do it alone. But washed in baptism, equipped by the Holy Spirit, let us sprinkle the good news of Christ and not the muck and the honey of this world. Amen.